Yards is Baltimore's historic baseball park. And at the north entrance, there's a 16-foot-tall bronze statue of Babe Ruth, who was born and raised in Baltimore. Uh, unfortunately, there's a, there's a funny thing about this statue. The statue of the Bambino was uh, meticulously researched. Uh, the sculptor uh, reproduced every crease in the babe's face and uh, tried to replicate the exact curve of his uh, fingers. And uh, they actually determined the exact size of the belt loops on uh, his pants and uh, the distinctive way that the babe would tie his shoelaces. And all this was uh, reproduced in a meticulous detail. Um, what a shame that this statue turned out to be an expensive embarrassment. Because by the time the cast was set, it was too late to correct the fact that the sculptor had given babe a right-handed fielding glove when the babe was left-handed. The babe was famous for being left-handed. He grew up in Baltimore being called lefty, and the statue depicted him as righty. And I can just imagine the uh, phone call from the uh, statue maker to the guy who commissioned the thing. Hi, just calling to tell you that the, uh, uh, we got the statue of the babe uh, uh, finished. Uh, you'll be happy to know that after three years of work, we have the exact size of his belt loops and shoelaces just right. Uh, just one problem. Is it okay that we made the babe a right-hander instead of a left-hander? Hello? Uh, hello? Yeah, yeah. Uh, for true babe fans, it's not okay. Some have tried to you know, cover it, uh, the sculptor's mistake, by fabricating uh, stories about how uh, Ruth, when he was young, uh, you know, all he could find was a right-handing uh, glove, but it's just a smokescreen because the sculptor has admitted that it was a mistake. So this statue stands in front of the Camden Yards as kind of an inside joke about how foolish it looks when you focus on insignificant details and miss the big picture. Well, today we're going to study a story of Jesus. He told about a man who concentrated on the belt loops and shoelaces of life and ended up missing the most important things. And this story would be kind of a joke if it just wasn't so tragic in so many lives. So would you please turn your Bible to, or your device to the Gospel of Luke chapter 16 and as I read this story, uh, you'll probably want to know whether Jesus is relating a factual event or a kind of a fictional parable. Well, every detail in this story points to it being a fictional parable except for one huge detail, which I'll bring up later. But not knowing for certain whether this is fact or fiction doesn't... Uh, change the importance of what we do know. And what we do know is that Jesus relates this story to convey an urgent truth about listening to God. So please listen to Luke chapter 16, beginning at verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away in paradise with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, 
Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in his fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you're in agony. Besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor anyone can cross over from there to us. The rich man answered, Well, then I beg you, Abraham, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, but if someone rises from the dead and goes to them, they will repent. And Abraham replied, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. So Jesus relates this story of the rich man and Lazarus in two scenes, an earthly scene and a heavenly scene. In the first scene, we have the rich man and Lazarus on earth. And on earth, Lazarus is a beggar who was laid at the rich man's gate. Now Jesus told this story in Jerusalem, and so everyone knew the neighborhood that he was talking about. Even today, in the old city of Jerusalem, uh, you can walk down certain narrow streets of the old city, and you'll see these uh, these uh, ornate iron gates leading to these uh, beautiful courtyards and opulent uh, townhouses. And verse 20 says that Lazarus was laid right next to such a certain man's rich uh, man's gate. He didn't walk there because Lazarus couldn't. Someone cared enough about Lazarus to take him to the best shot that he had for help. Lazarus' best shot was to be placed near the rich man's gate who threw out enough food and drink uh, to feed an army, and someone who loved Lazarus placed him where the rich man would see him and help him. This rich man couldn't miss Lazarus, yet despite seeing him day after day for years, Jesus implies that this rich man never did a thing to help this needy soul placed right at the end of his driveway. Now, let me make something clear. I mean, you've seen a beggar probably in Manhattan or some other big city, and you need to put out of your mind the 21st century uh, beggar to have an accurate concept of Lazarus. Let me spell it out. There were no drug addicts in uh, first century Jerusalem. The rich man couldn't justify his disregard of Lazarus because he didn't want to support a drug or an alcohol habit. The rich man couldn't justify his do-nothing attitude because the government, uh, it was the government's job to care for the poor because in the first century there was no welfare, there was no safety net. If you were maimed or diseased in a way where you couldn't support yourself and you had no family, then your only hope was to rely on the generosity of a guy who could afford to help. Which brings us to the rich man. In this story, Jesus paints the rich man as a guy who had just enough money so that he could be preoccupied with the belt loops and the shoelaces of life. Verse 19 says that Jesus was, uh, Jesus says that this man uh, was dying on his doorstep, yet this rich man is all about his wardrobe. He cares about his purple outfits and uh, all the comforts of life. Every day, this rich man went out and uh, went in, and Lazarus was there, but the rich man didn't do anything because he had purple clothes uh, to think about. He had banquets to think about. Uh, 
What was it about this rich man's heart that made him ignore Lazarus? Well, we find out a little bit more about this man's heart condition in the second scene. The first scene is the rich man and Lazarus on earth. The second scene is the rich man and Lazarus in eternity. And now the roles are reversed. Now Lazarus is in the pleasure of God's presence and the rich man is in the agony of separation from God. The rich man who ignored the beggar at his gate is now the one begging for a drop of water, which is part of a very interesting conversation between the rich man on one side of eternity and Abraham on the other side of eternity. And this interesting conversation tells us something about the rich man's heart and something about hell. First, the conversation tells us something about the rich man's heart. Notice how the rich man treats Lazarus in eternity. We know how he treated him on earth, uh, but now you look at him in eternity and you realize you can take the rich man out of his prideful palace, but you can't take the pride out of the rich man. For the rich man, the whole universe is still all about him. Uh, in pride, the rich man yells across the chasm to get Lazarus to serve him and meet his needs. The rich man calls Lazarus to go and get him a drink. Uh, the rich man calls Lazarus to go, warn his brothers. The rich man still sees Lazarus as an inferior he can boss around. And the rich man's attitude in eternity tells us something about his heart condition that he had on earth. He ignored Lazarus at the end of his driveway because he was a self-centered person who had no time for anyone who didn't meet his needs. But not only did the rich man ignore Lazarus on earth, this rich man also ignored God on earth. Uh, Jesus hopes you ask the important question, why is this rich man in hell? Well, Jesus answers this question in verse 30 where he says, uh, he has the rich man acknowledging that the reason that he is separated from God and the reason his brothers are heading to the same condition is because of their failure to, watch this word, repent. To repent means to change your direction in life. It means to change your mind and the way uh, you think and you, and you see life. And in this context, Repenting would mean the rich man going from his desire for pleasing himself to a desire to please God. Repenting would mean this rich man going from a passion for gold to a passion for God. And this rich man never did that on earth. He never changed the direction of his life toward God. He never sought a right relationship with God while he was on earth. And in eternity when he's faced with this chasm between him and heaven, the rich man still doesn't repent, which gets us to a truth about hell that this account is communicating. We hear this rich man speaking in hell, but do you notice what this rich man never says? He never says, Abraham, get me out of here. The rich man complains about thirst, but he never says, Adam, Abraham, this is, this is like hell. Get me out of here. 
In fact, instead of wanting to get out of hell, he's trying to get someone in. <laughs> he, he says, would you please send Lazarus over here? Later in the conversation, Abraham explains that the reason that the rich man is in hell is because he didn't repent, which was this huge opening for the rich man to say something like, well, I want to repent now. I want God now. I want heaven. I repent. Whatever that means, get me out of here. But the rich man never says that. This interesting detail fits in with what the Bible teaches over and over about heaven and hell. The Bible teaches that heaven is heaven because God is at the center of it and everyone there finds heaven paradise because everyone loves God there and their idea of paradise is being with him for all eternity. On the other hand, the Bible teaches that hell is God's affirmation of human choice and the freedom to reject God. Hell is for self-centered people who prove in life that they'd prefer to maintain focus on pleasing themselves and keep their distance from God. Hell exists for those who are not interested in relating to God and they prove it on earth and they don't really want to spend eternity with, them, with him either. It's been said that hell is locked from the inside. And that sure seems true when it comes to this rich man. He would rather suffer in hell than cross the chasm and be with God. The rich man's disinterest in being with God in eternity is just a logical extension of his disinterest in God while he was on earth. The rich man never chose God on earth, and Abraham explains why. Speaking of those five brothers, Abraham says in verse 29, they have Moses and the prophets, which refers to the Bible, uh, let them listen to them. And then if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced if someone rises from the dead. This explains why the rich man never repented. He never changed direction of his life because like his brothers, he never listened to God's voice in Scripture. Specifically, Abraham says that the rich man and his brothers did not listen to the central message of Moses and the prophets. What is the central message of Moses and the prophets? The central message is love God first and then love your neighbor as the all-important second. We know this is the central message that Jesus had in mind. Why? Because of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Watch this. All of Moses and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So Jesus taught that the central message of Moses and the prophets, which is shorthand for the Old Testament, is to love God first and then love your neighbor as yourself out of your love for God. Well, that was God's message to the rich man, but he didn't listen. The rich man had no love for God, no love for his neighbor, and Lazarus was 
living and dying proof of that. Neighbor is a word that means nearby. And Lazarus was the rich man's nearby. God was that loving someone who loved Lazarus enough to place him at the end of this rich man's driveway. Lazarus ended up being God's messenger to the rich man, calling him away from the belt loops and shoelaces of life. Lazarus was God's voice to the rich man, calling him to what was eternally important. But he didn't listen He didn't listen to God's messenger at the end of his driveway. He didn't listen to Moses and the prophets. He didn't listen to God's voice through God's word. And Jesus has a question for you. Are you listening? As we begin this new year, Jesus speaks to me and to you through his word in this story. And Jesus asks... Are you really listening to God's voice through God's word? Are you listening? Through this story, Jesus is calling me to adopt a new ear for the new year. What do I mean? I mean, I want a new ear that really hears the urgency of this story. The urgent truth that my relationship with God must be my top priority. Jesus' story is a contrast between uh, two lives, right? Two ways of living. God, uh, Jesus contrasts Lazarus who held on to God during his short suffering on earth but then found joy in eternity contrasts him to the rich man who held on to stuff for his short life, and then suffered for all eternity separated from God. We're supposed to weigh these two ways of life and listen, listen. I want an ear that really hears the urgency of this truth that it is foolish. It is foolish to pursue temporary stuff for 85-some years here on earth, if that means sacrificing an eternal relationship with God that goes on forever and ever with joy. If I am listening, I will choose in the new year to pursue a relationship with God as my top priority because I can see How foolish it would be to come to the end of this life and realize I'd sacrificed that and I had not listened to that all-important top priority. So if that is really what I hear, if I'm responding to that urgent truth, then I'm going to order my new year to make sure that my life reflects this top priority. It means that I will join a community group and I'll show up. It means that I'll start starting point class as my New Year's resolution or some other Sunday morning class to study the Bible to know God more. I will become a member of this church. I will talk to God and I'll listen as kind of a, a rhythm in my life and I'll make that a priority. Today, we've been talking about a contrast, a contrast, a long list of contrasts between this rich man and 
Lazarus. But there is one contrast that we have not mentioned yet. This final contrast between these two main characters in Jesus' story is so huge that you might miss it. The contrast is that only one of these two characters gets a name. At the beginning, I I said that uh, this story bears all the markings of fiction except for one huge detail. This detail is that Jesus gives this beggar a name. In fact, as we know in Scripture, that a name of one of Jesus' best friends. Jesus never did this in any other story. Jesus told many stories of managers and messengers and servants and kings and prodigal sons, and he never gave any character a name. It's so unusual that maybe Jesus means that this story is not just a story. Either way, the contrast between these two characters is telling us something. The rich man does not get a name because he has chosen the life of a nobody. The rich man has chosen a meaningless life focused on belt loops and shoelaces. By pursuing purple clothes instead of a relationship with God, this rich man is a nobody in the eyes of heaven, in the eyes that really count. On the other hand, the beggar who chooses a relationship with God is known by Jesus and known by name. Lazarus chose what counts in this life and the next. What matters is being on a first name basis with Jesus. The rich man became a nameless nobody because he didn't listen. I want a new ear that really hears the truth that my relationship with God must be my top priority right now in this life. Second, I want a new ear that really hears the urgent truth that I must reach out to my nearby. Loving God is the first commandment. It's the greatest commandment. But I can't say that I really love God if I don't listen to what he says is the most important thing, which is the second commandment, loving my nearby, my neighbor. The second most important thing God calls me to prioritize is is actually reaching out, not talking about it, but actually reaching out to my neighbor. This is really important to God And so if I'm really listening, it's got to be really important to me. It is possible for me to be deaf and blind when it comes to the hurting people that God places right in my path on purpose. It's possible for me to get so wrapped up in the belt loops and shoelaces of life that I miss what is most important in this life to God's heart, and should be most important to mine. Listen, you know, just give me an example of, of how important this is to Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says over and over in one book, the Gospel of John. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another. A new commandment I give to you, love one another. 
Everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Is this important to Jesus? Oh yeah, oh yeah. When Jesus calls me to love my nearby, he's not calling me to have loving feelings. He's not calling me to be friendly. He's not just calling me to uh, have positive feelings toward people. He's talking about doing the hard work of really caring for someone like Lazarus. Who is your Lazarus? Who has God placed in your life who requires you to love unselfishly, to love sacrificially, to love even though maybe you don't get anything back? Is it a spouse? Is it a child? Is, uh, is it a coworker? Is it someone in your extended family? Someone you associate with or work with? Is it someone in this room? That someone is God's messenger to you. Are you listening? Are you listening? That someone is God's messenger reminding you that this life is not about purple clothes, fancy food, belt loops, and shoelaces. God has put this Lazarus in your path, and if you're serious about honoring God, then you must know who that Lazarus is, and you must know what it means to reach out to that person in a way that is living out this second commandment. Who is your Lazarus? Well, sometimes loving your neighbor actually means loving someone in your neighborhood. When I was a kid, uh, my neighborhood had a neighborhood weirdo, a hermit. His name was uh, Mr. Williams. Uh, His lawn was an unmowed jungle. Uh, His house had paint peeling off of it. All the All the windows in the house were shaded or shuttered except for one window. And the kids I hung out with all had their own theory on Mr. Williams. Some said that he was a murderer and that uh, he had axes and knives in, uh, in his house there. And others said he was a mad scientist and he was experimenting on our missing pets. Uh, some kids would stand on his lawn and uh, try to make him appear and uh, and yell. And when he finally would appear at that one unshuttered window, they would scream and run away. Uh, when Mr. Williams died, Everyone found out that this man, the kids teased and the adults ignored, was not a murderer. He was not a mad scientist. He was just a lonely man whose wife had died in a car accident and he had lost a son in a war and who was slowly dying of cancer. And I thought about Mr. Williams. Uh, As I read recently a book, a true story entitled a man named Norman. Norman was the neighborhood weirdo, hermit, uh, except the difference is that uh, unlike Mr. Williams, uh, Norman was not left to die by himself because there was a Christ-following man on Norman Street who listened to God and acted in love. This Christ-following man built a friendship uh, with this strange neighbor, Norman. He painted Norman's house unshuttered his windows, let the light in, cleaned his clothes, took him to medical appointments. This man also welcomed Norman into his own family and treated him like a family member at meals. It it was an inconvenient, 
uncomfortable, relentless kind of loving relationship. And by the end of this true story, Norman was so healed and so transformed by the love of a neighbor that he became a vibrant part of his community, became a Christ follower himself, and became a man who was focused on helping other people the way that his neighbor helped him and loved him. And maybe you can't transform a Norman, but if you listen, you can reach out to the Lazarus that God has placed right in your path. Who is your Lazarus? If you listen to God's voice, you go from the belt loops and shoelaces of life to what is most important. Loving God by loving your nearby. Through this story of the rich man and Lazarus, I hear Jesus calling me to desire a new ear that hears his voice. Hears his voice and the urgency of making my relationship with God top priority right now, not somebody, not someday, right now, and then loving my nearby out of that relationship with God. That's my prayer. God, give me a better ear for a better year, this year, every year, until I see you face to face.